So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Easy Conversations. I just want to start off by saying thanks to everyone who listened to the last episode featuring the homie Matt. Um, that was a great episode. And thanks again to everyone who submitted their picks for the top uh, movies of 2019. And congrats again to Gus for winning your limited edition Easy Conversations hoodie. So, um, for this one, we're doing it a little differently here. Matt is not in studio, couldn't make it because of the COVID situation. So, I um, hope everybody's staying safe. And- so for this episode, we got the homie, my brother, Young Z, Zach Saloom in the building. Say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? Happy to be here. Thanks, Eric, for having me back on the show. Yep. No, it's uh, good to have you back on here. So for this one, we're basically going to be doing an overview of the NHL season that was cut short, unfortunately, because of everything that's going on right now in these crazy times. So I'll start off by just looking at um, yeah, everything that happened in the year what could have been in a look at maybe what a new playoff format will look like and how this will affect the draft lottery, the draft itself. When are we going to see hockey again? Like there's a lot, despite not having a lot that's happening in the league right now, there's still a lot to talk about. And we're also going to be reaching out to a few people to see if they can join us later on there. So stay tuned for that. So to start off this episode, like I said, Zach and I, we can start off by um, going over just uh, individual performances that, really surprised us this year so Zach I'll throw it off to you first whose individual season this year really stood out to you the most the most I would have to go with the the bread man Artemi Panarin just taking over the New York Rangers organization absolutely incredible season he showed to everyone that what he did in Columbus wasn't just a fluke he, of course, started his career playing with the likes of Patrick Kane, Johnny Taze, and he was dominating as soon as he came into the league. Went over to Columbus, continued his uh, dominant play with other more renowned players, less so than Kane, of course, but still pretty good players like uh, Cam Atkinson, Young and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And now to go over in the New York Rangers playing with guys that... <laughs> can't even think of right now like Jesper Fast and Ryan uh, Strom exactly and still finishing well when the season was cut off with 95 points fourth in league scoring that uh, that was the guy who surprised me the most by dominating at such a high level as he did yeah especially coming off signing that monster ticket right that 11.6 million dollar contract that given his age too right he's signed that I think he's 29 Mm-hmm. Or 28. Yeah. Gonna be 29 at the start of next season. So that's a pretty big deal to be signing like that after four years of, like you said, dominance. He did have two great years in Columbus, even better than his years in Chicago, statistically, anyway. And then, yeah, he just took it to the next level this year. And who knows what he could have ended up with at the end of a full season. Mm-hmm. Like, would have for sure eclipsed 100 points for the first time in his career. And um, I think has put himself in the heart trophy conversation. That's something we can get into yeah, later as well. Especially with the fact that he didn't just get all the points that he did. He also finished the 
season as a plus 36, second highest plus minus in the entire league on a team that's not even a playoff position. So that's even more impressive. Yeah. And also to make things better for him, his uh, former teammate, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, that also signed a ridiculous contract, had such a terrible season. So for him to just show like, no, they didn't make a mistake by giving me all that money. It really paid off. And uh, hopefully for him, it continues to go that way. No, Panarin's definitely a good pick for most uh, like outstanding, surprising season. You could also nominate a Mika Zibanejad on another one of his unbelievable um, co uh, workers, colleagues, yeah, yeah, that's, teammates. Uh, that's that's something out there. <laughs> um, I think another um, a pick would be uh, the legal leader at this point, Leon Dreisaitl, that really showed that he can be the Evgeny Malkin to McDavid's Crosby and step up when McDavid goes down and continue to dominate like he did. I mean, he's also put himself into heart conversation when stepping up even more when McDavid went down. I think he got four or five points the game, the first game after McDavid was injured. Absolutely. So amazing season for him. Me, I'm going to go with someone else who finished really high up is uh, David Pasternak who just keeps getting better every single year. Let's go. And only at age like 24, I think, mm-hmm. is now showing that he's one of the league's not only best goal scorers, but best players in general. I think he has to be in your top three right wingers in the league at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely, top winger for sure. And something that's hard to find, you know, every every well, mostly every top teams has that number one center that's been carrying them. But to have an elite winger like him, it just makes such an even bigger difference. And one thing that um, is kind of sad to see that we won't get to see what would have happened between the race, the three-man race for the Rocket Richard between Pasternak, Ovechkin, and Matthews this year. That was a really cool storyline to follow. Yeah, they were always going back and forth. Like, I definitely am not a Leaf fan, but it was cool to see how many goals Matthews was putting up. And I was loving it even more when Pasternak would answer um, two goal game by Matthews with a, with a hat trick of his own. It was just such a fun storyline. And then Ovechkin always just continuously climbing and, and putting himself in that uh, conversation again for the Rocket. Like would have been going for his ninth one. And depending on how they decide to end the out. season, it might be just a two way tie between Pasternak and uh, Ovechkin for the Rocket. Yeah, and uh, it's true. It's you can't even put it in words what Ovechkin's been able to do these past years that we've been witnessing as fans of the game. It's uh, truly unbelievable. He just uh, continue. It seems like he's getting better as he's getting older to find different ways to put the puck in the net. Sure, he uh, he gets that extra jump in his step when uh, the opposing team goalie leaves the net, but uh, <laughs> you know that's just uh, playing smart. You know you got to find your goals when you can, and uh, his shot just seems getting better and better. And uh, goalies, you'd think they'd figure it out by now, but clearly he's just finding a way to change it up just a little, just so that the goalies aren't sure where he's going to put it. And as we all see, it keeps going in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely some of the most impressive uh, surprise performances that we've gone over so far. And for, I think, just most impressive um, on another scale is what Roman Yossi did oh. for Nashville. If they do end up making the playoffs because of this new format, especially, I don't think they are in a, they would be in a playoff spot if uh, it was like the traditional eight teams there that made the playoffs. But it would be because of him that they would have a chance to beat, to be where they are right now. Because he took that team and just carried them on his 
Fuck. Yeah. Every time a defenseman finishes with the most points on his team, you can tell that that guy is doing something special. He, Like you said, the only reason they're still potentially could have made the playoffs was his play. It was truly amazing. And not to take anything away from John Carlson because he had an absolutely fantastic season as well, but Yossi only had 10 points less than Carlson, and he was doing it with a much less um, physically or offensively dominating team. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Carlson, all he has to do really on the power play, especially is just slide it over to Ovechkin. He gets that one-timer off, and he's going to get at least one out of three of those in, and they get quite a few power plays a game, so it was good odds for him. He also did lead his team in scoring for the first time ever, which is impressive. Um, I had him in fantasy there. The way he started off the year, it looked like uh, he was going to be like the first 100-point D-man in uh, however long it's been since one of the one of the, a defenseman got 100 points there, but he obviously tailed off, and that was kind of to be expected. Like When they were writing those articles that he could hit 100 points, it was a little overly ambitious, I think, to, to expect that. Mm-hmm. But 75 points in 69 games, I mean, that's super impressive, and he could have hit 80 points. Oh, easily. Uh, he could have because. You know, like you said, it's he obviously has a pretty easy, well, not easy job, but it helps to play on that incredible power play that they do have. But he he's got a lot of like his own goals. He steps up in the play, jumps in, makes a couple of nice moves, and he's got a cannon of a shot mm-hmm. himself. And underrated, he, very underrated. And he's been getting a lot of points in the past couple of years, and he always seems to get overlooked to just be nominated for the uh, Norris Trophy. So I was really happy for him just to have like his own season where everyone had their eyes on him every game being like wow this guy's really doing it doing mm-hmm. something special just looking at the top uh, point scorers this year at number 15 Kyle Connor do you think it's safe to say that he's maybe one of the most underrated young superstars in the game he's all stars yeah he's definitely joining in that conversation you know Barkov's been known as the most underrated player in the NHL for a long time but I think People have got to stop saying that because yeah. he's not underrated at all I anymore. I think he got 100 points last year. Exactly. Close to it, so. And, uh, he, you know, he's so I think, uh, yeah, a guy like Kyle Connor is stepping into a very underrated because whenever I do get the chance to watch Winnipeg play, which isn't that often, I, he just he jumps on the ice. He's very fast. He's got nice moves. Mm-hmm. And uh, he plays with lines w- with other guys that play at a really high pace. And he can stay with them, create plays for them. And, yeah, he buries that puck really nicely. Yeah. Okay, so now I got to say the most impressive surprise performance of the year, I'm looking at two spots down from Connor, has to be – on his first year in Vancouver with 72 points in 69 games, JT Miller out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. When Tampa gave up a first round, or Vancouver, sorry, gave up a first round pick to Tampa to get him. I thought, like, I don't know what Jim Benning was smoking, but I mean, <laughs> that was a steal for uh, Tampa. And pff, I guess he really knew. They did some pre scouting that really paid off because he really just gelled in right away mm-hmm. and had some chemistry with uh, Besser and Pedersen. Yeah, no, I think that they realized that Miller wasn't playing as much as he should have been. Well, not should have been because Tampa Bay had so many stars and they were doing so well. So he was just getting bumped down the lineup and couldn't really prove what he could really do in the in the league. Vancouver gave him this opportunity and he just rolled with it. Like you said, nobody would have seen this coming coming into this year's first year with Vancouver absolutely dominating. And he's the kind of guy that really does 
everything that a, a team wants. He's super physical. I've heard from a lot of reporters that uh, he's a very vocal guy in the dressing room, always, uh, you know, keeping things light and uh, when it's getting too serious, but still keeping everyone focused at the same time. He, uh, he does a little bit of everything, which is great to see, and uh, he'll be a big part of that uh, rising Vancouver team with other bright stars and all those young guys coming in real hot. And I don't think it's that unrealistic to expect him to put up these kind of numbers going forward. Like, I don't think this is just a one-off from him. He's still a young guy. He's only he's 26, 93, yeah, so at 26, 26, 27. And he's only gotten better over the years. I think last year might have... No, yeah, not, last year was a pretty solid year, almost um, more than a point every two-game guy. So Yeah, I know. Uh, on, on that team, like you said, there, especially last year's Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. there, they had so much depth. And um, he was getting suppressed in that lineup. Yeah, yeah, no, it it seemed like Tampa got a great deal for them when they they only had or they got a first round pick. But then you look at another move they made um, close to the deadline and gave a first round pick for the likes of Blake Coleman, and you yeah. realize, all right, and so maybe, Barkley Goodrum. Yeah, exactly. So you know what, Vancouver knew the price was high, but they they made the right decision, and Tampa then made a well, it's early to say if it was a right or bad decision for Coleman only time will tell yeah and that's uh, the thing like especially for teams who made those moves at the deadline if there isn't a a postseason this year like that's really got a sting because now those teams who gave up their their player has an extra pick at the deadline at the draft and basically didn't really lose much yeah that's uh, that's that's really sad for those teams that made a oh made like gave up high prices for guys that are trying to stack up their team for the run this year. Like God knows if we're going to see the playoffs uh, this year and if uh, these teams will have a chance to fight for the cup, but uh, to give up what uh, some teams had to do, Carolina is another team that made a lot of moves and gave up a lot trying to stack up for this year, thinking they had a good possibility. So, you know, you hate to see it. There's so many, uh, so many sides that you can just uh, pinpoint and say, wow, this is like the worst timing for a lot of teams, a lot of players. And it's just, uh, you hate to see it around the world. Yeah, for sure. And that's something we can, we'll get into soon there. I'll give uh, Curtis, former guest on the podcast, going to be our first caller joining us in five minutes there. So we'll talk about what a potential postseason could look like, but let's just assume that there isn't going to be a regular season and that they will just dive into the playoffs. Who t- who would you pick? For, let's do some a couple of awards here. Like for for the heart, who would you pick for the heart uh, well, trophy this year? At first I was skeptical, but I, I think I'm going to have to go back to the guy that uh, surprised me the most, which is Panarin. You know, I was uh, it was actually you that brought uh, this to my attention, th- saying that he he's a top contender, and I was I wasn't too sure. But then you, you look back at what he did and on what team, and mm-hmm. maybe now since there might not be playoffs and they do get snubbed, it's a little harder to say that he should be an MVP because if you don't take your team in the playoffs, you're it's hard to say that you're the most valuable player in the league. But if they were to make the playoffs, I think he would uh, he would have had a good shot and. That would have been my pick. Yeah, me, uh, Panarin would have been my pick as well. But I'll say, um, I guess, Dreisaitl for the year he had and uh, to bring bring Edmonton back to the playoffs, right, for the first time in three years. I think that's um, – he carried the low – like, there. You, you look at that lineup and there isn't – there aren't 
they aren't working with much there. No, absolutely not. And he also, something that people don't really realize too, he helped a young guy, which is... Uh, Oh, I can't. Why am I blanking on his Yamamoto. name? Yamamoto. Yamamoto, who was, uh, you know, struggling to make the team, has been playing good in the minors, c- comes up, becomes an immediate impact on the team because he was playing with Dreisaitl. They found this great chemistry, took Nugent Hopkins, who's been, uh, you know, pretty consistent enough player in the NHL, obviously not for what you would think of a first overall pick, but that line was really dominant. And if you watch a lot of Edmonton games, you can see when that line got together, they were moving the puck around, finding each other on the ice. It was really fun to watch. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly what you said there. And, and I think that's kind of the difference is that depending on what happens with the playoff format, if there is one where the Rangers, I think, would make it, depending on how many teams they do select to make the playoffs, whereas Edmonton would have... has Mm -hmm. solidified their position essentially they hadn't clinched a spot no one had but they're pretty much locked in to make it and I think it's because of Dreisaitl's performance this year and like you said how he was able to make other players elevate their game to reach his playing height which he had achieved last year in playing with McDavid now he just established himself on his own this year Mm -hmm. so um and now on the other end of the spectrum we can go to the Calder perform Calder Ooh, Trophy. Baby, that's going to be exciting. Exciting young players joining the leagues in years past, and this year's no exception. Um, headlined by a few stud defensemen, I think, has been the popular consensus. Yep. Hughes and McCarr going head-to-head all year. It's been so fun to watch. And really, it's, it's going to be a really, really hard choice for the voters to make because... Sure, you look at Hughes, he's got more points. He also played more games, finished with a worse plus minus. But you can't say that he wasn't anything but fantastic throughout the entire year. As a rookie, to put up more than 50 points, he finished top five as D scoring, and he did it with a young team. They all gelled together real fast in Vancouver, and it was so fun to watch. But then you look at McCarr, he instantly made a huge impact last year when he came in to Colorado after having a dominant season in college. Actually, saying it was dominant isn't even enough. What he did in college that year was just ridiculous. Anyways, he uh, he jumped in, got his first goal in the playoffs, was an absolute stud, and then he just took it over to this year, continued it, was holding on for the most points as a rookie for most of the f- first half of the season, got hurt. Hughes took over the lead, and they've just been going head uh, head to head, and yeah. uh, uh, it's gonna be interesting. You know, I'm leaning towards Makar because uh, you know he's a good Canadian guy. Yeah, more of a Makar guy myself. Definitely more of a Makar guy. Hughes just looks like a like a cocky guy, you no know. Runt. <laughs> so uh, titled millennial. Yeah, but uh, you yeah, know, I think it's a good it's a toss up. You go either way on this one. I don't think either would be the wrong choice. Um, and from what we see on Twitter anyways, like I don't get to watch many Vancouver or Colorado games, but Hughes drives the play on his team. He quarterbacks the power play, has less strong of a supporting cast, I think, than McCarr does in Colorado in playing with McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, those three elite top dogs. But that being said, they all got hurt at some point in the season and he still had to continue uh, his uh, production which he did yep so um and uh other than those two who are like everyone knows are the two favorites to win it there's been a lot of other guys just floating under the radar sleepers. with great seasons you look at a guy like 
Uh, Nick Suzuki in Montreal. Yep. Fantastic season, 41 points on a not-so-great Montreal team. Mm-hmm. He is uh, pretty consistent. Another team that I don't really watch, but when I did see them play, he was always someone that would do something at least once or twice a period, making some exciting plays and some smart plays. Other guys like Adam Fox that nobody talks about, but it was a defenseman for New York that finished with 42 points this season. Fantastic year. Best plus minus two among rookies, plus 22. Yeah. So, But no, honestly, no one ever talked about Fox. Like I never really saw his name on Twitter unless like D'Angelo or uh, someone else on his team tweeted him out, basically. Exactly. And then there's other guys. I can't think like of Kubalik yeah. on Chicago scored 30 goals, super low key. One of the few, there haven't been that many 30 goal scores this year to begin with. So it's pretty impressive that this guy was able to fly under the radar and he really picked up his play later in the season, but still, I mean, to get 30 goals and really impressive as a rookie. Exactly. To get 30 goals any year in your career is super impressive to do it in your first year is extremely impressive yeah one of 17 guys to score 30 this year and then victor olafson in buffalo who had a fantastic start looked like he was about to score 30 goals or even yep. more by how he was doing playing fantastic with jack eichel another guy who was having another fantastic season so you know like it was, there was no shortage of great play from rookies this year it's funny because of course going into the season all eyes were on uh, jack hughes and uh the other guy from New York there, yeah, uh, Capo, 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 two guys, number one and two pick going into the year, and everyone had way too high expectations Hughes for them. Hughes was apparently the next Connor McDavid. I, mean, <laughs> I guess he missed the memo. Yeah, that's, that's too bad for him. Got you know what? It's too soon, or obviously way too soon to write him off there. I, given the pedigree of his family and seeing how well his older brother has um, already succeeded in the NHL, I don't think it's... I think it's safe to say to expect similar greatness from Jack, but, but like it's tougher. <laughs> Is it tougher for a forward though? Like a centerman, it should be. It, it shouldn't be. It's tougher it, for an undersized defenseman, which Q, Quinn is, and he was able to adapt smoothly, effortlessly. Like the only thing you've ever heard as a hockey fan growing up or however long you've been watching the game is that oh it's so much harder for a a rookie a young defenseman to come into the nhl and be dominant it's going to take him two three seasons he should have more time in the minors maybe to grow as a defenseman and then let his game evolve you look at these guys they're making it seem like defensemen are way easier to come in because all these well not all but more defensemen had better years as rookie than some highly touted forwards did so it, it just goes to show how the game's evolving now I don't think anybody's going to be saying, oh, I don't think a young defenseman should come in. They're coming in everywhere, every size, and they're still dominating and not being a liability in the D zone because you look at McCarr, he was throwing bodies yep. around just so fast too. And Good so, Alberta boy just throwing the body <laughs> around. Yep. Yeah, no, it's it really impressive, All fun right, to watch. So- We'll throw it over to Curtis now and talk about potential looks at what a postseason could look like. So we'll just add him on here. All right, so you're on the pod. Say what's up to the people. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for having me on here again. (laughs) So we actually got my brother in studio as well, Zach, Curtis. Unfortunately, Matt was unable to join us for this one, so it'll just be us three for this segment. 
We're going to be talking about what a potential postseason could look like for um, just the NHL in general. So um, give us your thoughts on what you would like to see happen if the NHL season were to resume at some point. Uh, I'm not a big fan of change, so a lot of the ideas that have been thrown around lately uh, haven't been a huge fan of. I'd love to see um, the league try to go back to finishing some games, um, and if that's not possible, I, which I don't think it will be, to be honest, uh, given it looks like this pandemic is uh you know it's we're kind of going, going to be in it for the long haul here so it's real uh, yeah yeah it's real it's <laughs> as real as the streets right now and uh if if we can't go back to regular season games i i think i'd probably prefer to just say let's end the season where we were i guess uh do it on a point percentage basis and and just try to do playoffs with the standings the way they are Okay, so not accommodate more teams, like not expand it to 20, 20 teams, 22, 24 teams. They're just your traditional 8-8. Eight, eight. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the expansion ideas were okay. Um, but like, like the, I, I think the one that was the most prominent was like the 24-team idea. Uh, and I don't know, like if, if I'm, uh, I think Montreal was 24th, if I'm not mistaken, but... Um, if I'm Montreal and, and I'm being stuck into like the bottom of the playoffs, I'm, I'm actually kind of pissed. I think, uh, I'd probably prefer the draft pick. So yeah, uh, sure. I, I, I don't know about that idea so much. Like if that was Ottawa, uh, being a sense fan and we somehow got stuck into like the bottom of the playoffs with like next to no chance of winning, uh, I'd probably be a little upset about that. So not a huge fan of that idea. Yeah, same here. I like the point percentage as well. I think that's mm-hmm. probably the, like the fairest thing because there are teams like, um, especially for Florida, teams that were vying, and New York Islanders, I don't think they're in a playoff spot right now. Yeah. And they had games in hand on teams to, like Carolina, or no, not Carolina. Columbus. We'll edit that out. Columbus. So <laughs> um, <laughs> it definitely is the fairest thing, I think. And like you said, I don't think it is possible to just get like, one or two games, or maybe to get every single team up to, what would it be, 72 70. games? Nah, I think the the most teams played 71. Yeah, I don't think anybody played 72 games. But I think 72 is like a nice, Round. even number, yeah. you know. Just get everyone there. But yeah, no, Ottawa, I mean, I think it's safe to say we're not going to be included in this playoff picture. And uh, I would... like. That's a Zach. Did you have another uh, possible playoff format you'd like to see before we jump to something else? No, I think I think we hit on everything. I think that's the fairest way to do it is point percentage. If not, it would be like somehow if there is enough time, maybe get every team to play the same number of games. So whoever had most games would just sit out for a little while, watch the other teams battle it out for what maybe two games I think would be the most but I think point percentage would be the best and then just jump back into the normal 16 team format Mm -hmm. because there's been so much change right now you don't want to just throw so many things at them and then everyone's just all over the place be way too chaotic more so than it already is yeah um one more one more thing like uh that i think has been thrown around a bit i wouldn't mind seeing like a couple wild card games i guess uh if if they were going to uh maybe expand it a bit i don't know how much of that was being discussed with the expansion um like playoff format um proposals but uh that might 
be a way to kind of skirt around the extra regular season games being played, have some of the bubble teams play, like even like a best of one, just a, you know, a wild card game kind of thing, and, and then bracket it eight and eight. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's, you know, this is kind of unprecedented, right? So I think uh, all options are viable to explore, but I'd like to see it stick as close as possible to normal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no like a play-in game that would get viewership off the charts for that like who wouldn't tune into that game exactly it's super exciting yeah for sure so speaking of like change and looking at new uh, formats for how they're gonna handle everything postseason there's talks of like a tournament for the number one auto odds for the lottery as Sens fans, obviously, we wouldn't really want that because we're sitting pretty right now with the second and third best odds with San Jose's pick, and like they wouldn't really have anything to play for. But do you think there'd be some value in having something like that set up for uh, the best pick? Okay, so um, I forget. I think it was like back when Buffalo um, tanked. Like I forget how many. Like a few years ago, four-ish years ago, Buffalo just kind of got rid of their entire team like yep. uh, at the deadline um and there were so many there was a lot of talks of like you know tank prevention and how do we, how do you kind of prevent that and, and something that crossed my mind was like some sort of tournament um you know uh, something like that but every time i like thought about it it just it never worked you know like it would be cool to have the non-playoff teams actually do something uh, meaningful like at near the end of the season, like I think just the idea of that would be cool, uh, but I just don't see how uh, like a tournament or anything like uh, that bases you know your success on your skill, um, you know, and having that decide where you pick. I think that's just kind of defeating the purpose of like where the draft lottery sits right now. Um, and as you guys probably agree with me on that one, I, I just I can't like fathom an, an idea or like a, a possible solution, um, you know that that has teams go against each other to, to kind of fight for the pick when it's supposed to go to the team that's the shittiest at the end of the season, right? Yep, the teams that need those players the most, right? Mm-hmm. Not a team like the Rangers who could have easily been a playoff team with all the guys they added on after last summer, right? Like getting the second overall pick, signing Panarin, um, signing, well, getting them Fox, Adam Fox, another top rookie we talked about earlier. You're going to have to tune in to listen to that part. But like, and that's a team that would easily just like manhandle Ottawa, Detroit. Um, like we worked hard to be where we are right now. Like we played the perfect season pretty mm-hmm. much. So I wouldn't want to put it up to chance in that tournament. Well, that's the thing too. Like, Having a tournament, of course, based on how the season went, it would just turn everything around saying that, all right, the teams that almost made the playoffs should technically have the best chances to win the tournament. So then it would just flip everything around, make them the top team to get this, what could be the next franchise player in Alexis Lafreniere. So why would that make any sense? Why would any or most... uh, executives vote on this especially the bottom teams are like well we just proved that we were one of the worst teams in the league we're not going to want to go fight against teams that almost made the playoffs to just wish away this fantastic opportunity for so them. maybe the teams that just missed the playoffs would have to be excluded from this tournament and just have the elite 
the elite eight, like the worst teams, basically just battle <laughs> the it bottom out. feeders yeah, tournament. Exactly. The Ocho. Yeah. Even still, though, like you, like the the uh, you know the discrepancy between your bottom two or three. Well, I'm gonna say bottom two, uh, based on where the standings finished, because I think San Jose is actually quite a bit better than Ottawa and Detroit. Um, but like the the you know the parity between your bottom two teams and even like the bottom eight is so large. Uh, I still like, and I don't like any, and, and I, I try to look at it from a, from an objective standpoint. Like even if Ottawa wasn't in this position, I still think it would be a stupid idea. Cause even when I was toying with this idea in my head, I, I forget where Ottawa was, but it wasn't so much to have Ottawa in mind. It was more just like, you know, getting away from the, the losing on purpose mentality, right? And tanking and, and the lottery kind of it's, I think the lottery is one of the best options to kind of get away from that. But when you flip it on its side and you bring a tournament in, like there was no chance Ottawa's winning a tournament um, or, or like doing anything in a tournament, you know, <laughs> not against the bottom eight teams. Like maybe we beat Detroit. Um, but what does that prove? You Who know, wouldn't at this exactly. point? Right. Like, does that prove we deserve a better draft pick if we beat shitty teams? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And mm-hmm. then to your point earlier, what about those teams that don't even have their draft picks anymore? Like, what are they? Like, why even play? Like, you know, they're just going to risk injury and stuff like that. Like, is Carlson gonna suit up for the Sharks uh, <laughs> to play in a bottom eight tournament when he's like got half an ankle and a broken thumb? And you know, like, obviously not, right? Yeah. So. I, I, it was. I don't know much about the, you know, the substance behind that suggestion. Uh, to me, and, and maybe you guys know more about it than I do, but it sounded to me like it was just maybe just one team, maybe a bubble team or something. You know that that recommended that. It would have had to be. I can't really see like Iserman proposing this. Yeah. And, like, yeah. No. It it really doesn't make. Honestly, it just seems like a like really weak attempt to have more hockey being played in a time where like so many games got canceled. Like, all right, how can we just find a way to add more hockey, more ways to sell tickets, make more money when we lost a ton. And I think everyone, every fan is kind of against this idea. It just, nobody's really being like, yes, the tournament makes sense. Let's do it. We want to see this. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in agreement with that. Uh, I'm all for more hockey, but, uh, like, I don't know, get creative and think of other ways. Like, you know, maybe maybe just have other games, you know, like, uh, you know, like what they do with, like, the rookie tournament and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, just like, get creative, get games that maybe don't mean as much, but, like, playing for uh, the first overall pick is, like, you know, that's like the Stanley Cup for the losers. Oh, you know? 100%. Like, it's such a huge thing. And, yeah, like, that would be kind of cool TV to watch. But it's just, like, once again, just doesn't make sense. It goes against everything that the, the league has kind of put in place to, to uh, you know, to set up the bottom-dwelling teams. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, and for, like, like your point earlier, a team like San Jose who doesn't have their first-round pick – they're just going to be calling up every guy in their farm team. Like, all right, boys, go out there. Just have some fun. We're trying to lose these games. Like, calling up East Coast players. Like, all right, this is your big league's chance. Show us you want to stick around. Like, it, it just 
it wouldn't work. It would shake up the draft order completely too. Like, how would they determine seeding? I don't know. It's just I think it's a lost cause, and I think we've dissected this idea. Yeah, it's a big enough. swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of the draft now, like that was the next thing I was we were really looking forward to, right? Like April, I think it was April fourth, circled that um, that's when the order was going to be revealed. There, so I'm like that's delayed indefinitely until they establish a playoff format, right? We won't know. I don't know. I hope the odds aren't affected too much because with San Jose's pick and ours, we had the best odds. I think we were at what like twenty close to twenty percent or more than twenty more than twenty percent, twenty five percent. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think it was like twenty three percent. Whatever it was, it, we we had the best odds. Maybe twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something like twenty to twenty five. We yeah. definitely had the best odds for sure. So Curtis, you and I had spoken about this like weeks ago. Now, what feels like ages ago, about how let's say I'll just pose this again. Maybe your opinion on this has changed. So let's say when the um, picks are revealed, that Ottawa drops from we'd have two and three if everything stayed put. Let's say we end up with four and six. Would you try to package those two uh, um, draft picks higher for like the, let's say we can get the first overall pick with four and six. Would you do that? Four and six, I think, uh, I think I, like, just from right now, I think I would have to say definitely. Okay, sorry, I'll say two and four instead. <laughs> that's the closer yeah, value. That, that's, that's a bit tougher. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm pretty high on uh, Lafreniere. Um, I think everyone is. Uh, I don't know. I think I'd probably kick myself if I didn't take, you know, at least try to take a shot at the number one there. I think that's that once again, that's the Stanley Cup of the draft, right? So, mm-hmm. like, it's, if you ain't first, you're last. Uh, in this case, Reese Bobby. Yeah. So I, <laughs> OG. I don't know, man. Like, it's tough. Like, like. It, Maybe two and three, I'd say, you know, I'd think about it. I, I don't know. I, once again, it's, you know, the draft lottery is obviously a lottery, but these picks are a lottery sometimes too, right? And Yep, for sure. Uh, it's like, you, you know, you want to make the best decision to, you know, to, to just give your team the best chance to, you know, to succeed from the draft. And I think, uh, I think other than Lafreniere, I think, you know, the other guys aren't as much of a shoe in, I think. So uh, I'd probably try to get number one, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Zach, yeah, it's it's a question that could keep you going for a long, long time to think about it. And uh, I think ultimately, if the Sens were in this position, they would trade the picks, and if if it was possible to get the number one overall pick. Because if you'd go back to all the moves the Sens have made to like get the most, the best picks, the best pieces together to make the best team going forward, if they had any chance to get Lafreniere on their team, they would do it. And giving up two and four, which is obviously a high price, I think they would do it. Would I do it? That's a different question because I think having two really like grade a like superstar potential players added to your team could be huge and you're taking a less big chance to putting your like picks onto two guys than just 
really, really hoping that this one guy becomes the franchise players that everyone thinks he will be. But, you know, crazier things have happened and he could just end up being the next male Yakupov, play yeah. a couple of years and get out of there. Very unlikely, but you never know. Mm-hmm. So I, I would keep the picks, try to get, because this draft is looking unbelievable and it's not like we're giving up two like mediocre picks to get the one franchise. You could have two guys that could be bad for all we know they could be just as good as Lafreniere and mm-hmm. if you'd have two of those guys it could pay off it's a risk but I would take it it's like you can look at the 2015 draft where number two was Eichel and number four was Marner would you rather have both of them on your team or just McDavid who was first that year like that's a pretty solid comparable I think that I just thought of mm-hmm. so and, <laughs> of yeah, yeah I was going give, through give drafts in my back, head yeah. but then you look at the next draft though which is 2016 where Matthews went first and then you have Line a at number two and Jesse Pugliarvi at number four where I'd much rather just have taken first overall in Matthews who's generational like top sniper in the league right now one of them mm-hmm. number one center so it's um you really don't know like you said how these picks will pan out they, they say this draft's like top 10 or locks as far as it goes as like top line potential players. Um, I'd also agree with Zach though that I'd probably want better odds at two great players like that than just the one. But it's a, it's an interesting topic discussion. I see where you're coming from. Uh, but it, like also remember we have like a mid of the pack first with the Islanders pick as well. So, you know, you... Like, if you did package for number one overall, you're still probably getting a pretty decent prospect with our Islanders pick, um, mm-hmm. barring the condition doesn't go through for whatever reason. Uh, you know, so, I don't know, in, in my mind, you'd have to kind of put that in the back of your head, too. And, and I still think that most teams would probably pick McDavid over Eichel and Marner. I was just thinking that, too. I, I probably still would, too. I don't know. But, like, you have to think of more than just, like, you know, yeah, like you know, think of cap space and stuff exactly. too. Right? Like, <laughs> you gotta pay those two guys. Yeah. through uh, a bit of a, a a bit of a runaround, and and uh, you know, it's yeah, yeah. Like those two players are phenomenal players, but I don't think any team would pass up on McDavid. And mm-hmm. you know, last probably isn't going to be McDavid, but um, yeah, it's tough. It's a really tough question. It's a good question, but. Yeah, it's one that you could, you know, you make your decision, then you could definitely look back on and just kind (laughs) of, you know, like give it five years or something, three to five years. And, you know, that's that's the only time you're really going to be able to to determine if you made the right choice or not, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I could see, though, the Sens really being aggressive in wanting to get that first overall pick if we don't get it in the lottery. Because we, like you said, we have another first round pick. And we have like three second round picks and two third round picks this year. And we already have like a, a like so many prospects, yeah. so they could easily throw in a couple of other guys that are like seen as really high prospects. And like you, all of these guys won't be able to play on your NHL team. Yeah. No. So you might as well package the best thing you can to get the best piece you can. So yeah. So like, I, I definitely agree. And I guess like the flip side of that would be like, do you guys think that? other teams would even entertain a two and a four for number one, given like the, you know, the, the potential that Lafreniere is, is showing right now. Cause that's, that's another factor that you'd have to kind of think about. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it might not even be an option. Like there might not be a package you could 
you know, viably put together that uh, an NHL team would even entertain. So something to think about as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, when is the last time the first overall pick got traded to? I'm trying to think. Like, it really rarely happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially for a player like that's been hyped up like Lafreniere. I don't know. Looking at the teams at the bottom, too, like, all these teams need a franchise forward at this point. Like, Anaheim, L.A., Detroit. Detroit. I think it's safe to say Iserman would not no, be willing to trade the pick. He wouldn't trade it. Unless he's getting an already super, like, not a pick. He'd be willing to trade the first overall pick if he would, which I still don't think he would. Would be for an already superstar, almost franchise player who's played in the league. It wouldn't be for someone who, or a couple of guys that could be superstars. He wouldn't take that gamble. It'd be way too high. Everyone would be doubting him as a GM, even though he's done everything he's done in Tampa Bay. Yeah. I think it's also like the safe road to keep the number one. Uh, Yeah. So like, I think there's a, like there's a bit of a fallback or safety net. If you keep the the one, like, you know, you can blame that on the scouts. Like if you pick number one and he doesn't pan out, um, you can blame it on media and stuff Mm. for hyping this kid up. But if you trade him, uh, and get the two and four, that's on you. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's a bit... <laughs> like, it's it's a it's a cool question, because, like, like Zach said, you could really... Like, you could probably talk about it for hours, and but, like, like all these drafts, you know, like, the uh, time will tell, I guess, right? Um, and it's it'll be interesting to see, you know, wh- where we are now versus where we are in a couple years, like, you know, if we made the right I'm hoping we do, but I'm excited to see. Yeah, it's a monumental draft for the Sens for sure. Mm-hmm. And I was gonna go to the draft, but now it looks like it might be, it won't be accessible to the public, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've okay. seen that. So, that yeah. And also, just like looking at a draft that wasn't that long ago, like the 2017 draft, mm-hmm. where uh, everyone was hyping up Nolan Patrick and uh, Nico Heischer. And Nico Heischer ended up going first overall. Everyone was like, all right, this is could be controversial. And then now we're only three years later. Everyone seems to think that, wow, okay, maybe it's Makar, uh, Heiskanen, and Pedersen that ended up being the even better players. And, and that's they, only three years later. They all went three, four, five. So I think if you did redo that draft already, they would be one, two, three. Yeah, ex- exactly. And that's just, and then maybe who knows? Even in the next three seasons, Heischer and Patrick come out of nowhere and top those players. Like you just, it's so hard to tell. Or like a Drake Batherson jumps up and like he <laughs> looks like right now could be a first round pick out of. Obviously, it's really too soon to regrade that whole draft there. But I mean, he's looking like a promising prospect. And um, we talked about this with Big Al there a few episodes ago. Curtis, which Sens prospect are you most excited for in the years to come? Like, maybe as soon as next year, barring the new players we'll get in the draft. Uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's something else I, you know, I think about a lot. I think, uh, I think Josh Norris is hard to, uh, you know, it's hard for me not to pick him. Um, you know, I... I Obviously, we didn't get a good look of him um, in the NHL this season, uh, but he looks like the real deal. Uh, so, once again, I kind of wish we could 
take a peek in the crystal ball a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, it's something that makes it exciting as a Sens fan, which we definitely need. Um, you know, just to see kind of what he develops into. Uh, you know, uh, Drake Batherson obviously, um, you know, looks promising. Uh, I really wish, um, you know, I really wish, um, sorry, Logan Brown would come around uh you know with his kind of skill set and size and everything we you know we're desperate for big well we're desperate for centermen in general but Mm -hmm. uh, you know with with his size and you know i think he does have natural skill i i I think you know eric you and i have talked about him quite a bit before and Mm -hmm. i'd like to see a little more drive and determination out of him um but uh yeah like uh you know, uh, Bernard Docker, obviously, uh, a couple of the goaltending prospects, uh, like, I'm interested to see what happens down in, in Belleville, uh, with, uh, the court and Gustafson, mm-hmm. um, hoping that one of them, um, turns out, it looks like Hogberg, uh, could be the real deal, I'm interested to see, I know I'm listing, like, I was just gonna say, you're not really leaving <laughs> us many options here, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all our prospects I can. <laughs> uh, those three. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it, I like you know before before uh, you you give me yours. I just want to say that I think um, it's easy for me to go on like that because that's all we have as sense fans right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's just like the future, and you know, uh, it's it's exciting, right? So. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing how like the team in general kind of grows over the next couple seasons. Yeah, absolutely. We're in a, we're in a good position for the future for sure. Yeah. All right, Zach. All right. Well, you know, I gotta agree with the see, just seeing like the little that we did of Josh Norris. It might not have been like the sexy debut that we would have liked to see. Like, okay, he didn't really get a goal. Or he didn't get like. I don't even no know points. if he got a point yet. No he didn't get points. But he did a lot of little things correct. And, like, that's something you got to love seeing from a young, young yeah. forward. He was really a defensively responsible, a lot like, great in, the, great in the face-off circle. A lot of little things were done right. And you could tell by his numbers that he did, he put up in the AHL, that he's got the natural skill. He's got the good shot, quick release. Like, you've seen a couple yeah. of his highlights, and it's really exciting. So... That's definitely one of the guys that I'm most looking forward to seeing playing with the Sens. But another guy that people like don't talk about as much just because we have so many prospects. But for me, one I'm actually like really looking forward to that I was skeptical at first is Alex Formanton. You know, like he's got the speed. He's been putting up insane amount of points as a, as a rookie in the AHL. Really impressive. I can see him becoming a big role player for the Sens killing penalty kills, getting under team skin, and then putting up the points as well. So I can see him being like a key, I want to say he's a winger. Yeah, left key, winger. Yeah, key left winger on the team that, you know, every team needs. Because centermans, you build your team around that. But after that, you need those guys coming in. And he's just a bullet up and down the wing. We've seen him play on a big level with the world junior teams. So that's one of the guys I'm really looking forward to seeing more of. So, yeah, me too. It was going to be Formanton. I thought you were just going to piggyback on that and just say Norris too. I was uh, excited. I was, thought I was good there. But, um, yeah, I mean, everything you both said about Norris and Formanton, I think those are the two guys I'm really looking forward to seeing next year. I think Norris is, should be a lock as like a middle six centerman 
I would say top uh, second line to start the year because we have no one else really to plug in there right away. Mm-hmm. But um, and Formington too could get a look on like middle six, maybe third line, be an energetic winger, like you said, kill, kill penalties. I don't know how many points is going to be realistic to expect from him down the road, but just the fact that he scored like almost thirty goals in his rookie season in the AHL is super encouraging. So now if I have to pull up someone else for the Sens, I'd say, uh, like, um, I guess like Bernard Docker, I think he's going to sign after this year because he had two really good years in college. Looks like he should become a solid top 4D. Um, can play the power play. I think he's a right shot too. So those defensemen are hard to come by. And if he can become like a second uh, power play, maybe, um, specialist and be a penalty killer as mm-hmm. well and just be a hard defenseman to play against that'd be a great first round pick that we received in the Brassard trade who like that's how I like to look at this Abenajad trade now that kind of looks bad for Ottawa but at least it got us Bernard Docker and Gustafson too we'll see what he can become for us down the road but Bernard Docker I think uh, should be in Belleville next year so excited to see what he can bring there so yeah solid uh, the future is bright for the Sens so Curtis um Thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate the insights. Do you have any final notes that you'd want us to cover about the regular season? Anything else you want to talk about? Or? I don't think I've ever asked you this. Just very quickly, what what is Philip Schlappick? <laughs> what is Philip Schlappick? <laughs> That's a very That's a honest question. question, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, we're, we just keep <laughs> using him, like, on the fourth line, and... Uh, you know, you can make this quick, but I, 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 it's like a player that never gets talked about. I, I never minded his game, but he doesn't seem to get a great uh, opportunity. So uh, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on him. I see Schlappick as like a Lazar 2.0 in that we just... Right, there's that's just, pretty harsh. <laughs> there's just never going to be a place for him in Ottawa. I mean, he, he got a point, I think, in almost every game he played in Belleville this year. Like when he... Or maybe I'm confusing him with Balsers, but he did do pretty well in Belleville. But then in Ottawa, he, he was just never put in an opportunity to produce. And with all these other guys we have coming up, I just, I don't know, I didn't see enough of him at that level to be more than that, really. I don't know what you had to say. Zach. So, like, I, th- I think saying he's a Lazar, like I said, is a little harsh because, you know, Lazar didn't have a great uh, tenure with the team. I would put him, like, in a in-between Lazar and Ryan Zingle where, like, Zingle had some opportunities to show that he had skill and produced, and then we sold high on him and got a couple of good picks, so I'd like to think we won that trade. Schlappick, I don't think he'll ever get the opportunity that Zingle had to really be, like, a power play guy consistently, but he could still maybe get, like, close to, like, 25, 30 points in a year, like, one season, and then we dump him, get rid of him, and try to get, I don't know, maybe a pick or two and then just go from there. But I don't think he'll be a senator for, for long. No, me neither. What do you see him as, Curtis? No, like, I, it just, uh, it's someone who just kind of floats under the radar. Like, I know he hasn't done a lot, but, uh, like, he, I thought he showed flashes of, like, mm-hmm. co- like, like, at least, like, the ability to play in the NHL. Um, I know, like, his last season in junior, I think he, I, I don't know if he was the highest or second highest score in the queue, uh, which I know isn't always the best judge, but, uh, like, he's put up numbers. I think he had, like, close to 100 points or more. Yeah, he had 90, 91 points in 57 games, fourth in the league. Okay, 
So, um, so like, I expected him to be a little bit more than he was, um, but I know he's not getting the opportunities. Uh, but like, he had he had kind of shown some offensive upside. I thought, anyways, um, when he was, you know, playing with the team this season. Uh, but I, I don't know, like, I don't know enough about him, so I was just wondering, uh, I guess, why he wasn't getting any attention. But, um, yeah, like, from what Zach was saying, like, I could definitely see that happening just because there's not a lot of room. Um, so he'll probably just fall by the wayside, it yeah. looks like. And you know what's interesting, too, that year? The guy with the most points in the queue was Vitaly Abramov, another guy who, who oh, knows nice. where he falls, right? Like... Yeah, that's what someone that never him? talks about him, really. And he's a top guy. Like he, he's showing a lot of good things in the in the minors. I think like, he needs to be a, a top six forward to succeed. Like he, I don't see him becoming really like a grinder who puts up points. I don't know. I really don't know what we have in him. Well, he's what, for sure starting the year in Belgium. And and that's just year. going to say like we we have too many prospects to see yeah. them all pan out. Like some of these guys, we're just gonna trade them. Because we're never going to have an opportunity for them on our team. So, you know, that's just what it happens. You know, it's a business. And we keep getting newer guys, newer prospects that we put more time into. So that these other guys that we gave them a quick early sniff, really nothing but still. And then they're just like, all right, sorry, guys. It's a numbers game at this point, and uh, we got to get rid of you. Yep. Well said. Well, we have a lot of openings. So <laughs> yeah. at least there's that. We have... The, one of the best teams to slot in prospects and give them some ice time. So we'll do what we can, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks. That was a great question. Some uh, interesting schlapic talk. <laughs> and um, yeah, man. Thanks a lot for joining us. I uh, always love hearing your opinion on the uh, sends and uh, we'll have to get you back on here with Matt, discuss some movies again. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for having me guys. Uh, Hope you guys are staying safe and, uh, you know, same with the listeners. Hope everyone's staying safe and staying inside. Yes, sir. Likewise, sir. Stay home, people. Take it easy, man. All right. I'm going to go play some Call of Duty. Nice. <laughs> See ya. See ya. All right. Good stuff. So, thank you, Curtis. Some great insight. Yeah. So, um... Back well, to some awards or I was else? thinking the same thing. All we were right. just going off on the awards, and yeah. I think we can keep it going at this point. I mean, we kind of covered Norris there. I mean, that, that I think that's where the debate's going now is it's between Carlson and uh, Yossi. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, I've, obviously I'm kind of biased in that I had Carlson in fantasy hockey there, so I'd, I'd like to see him win. But I can't argue with what Yossi did and that he t- – like, drove the bus on that team mm-hmm. every time i watched like when nashville played ottawa yossi was the most dominant player on the ice for both teams that's not saying much playing against ottawa but still you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying so. and 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 it it's not uncommon to see the defenseman with the most points not win the norris we've seen it so many times happen so that's why yossi has a very very good chance just because of what we've already said he's he was so much for that team he carried them throughout the entire season so consistent Sure, Carlson was consistent too, but you know, Carlson was or Eric Carlson had so many points in so many seasons, but it wasn't he wasn't winning the Norris yeah, every year. Eighty two and eighty two, and then the next year, I'm pretty sure Burns had like eighty or something, and he won the Norris. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that one's not really. Uh, there's much debate to be had there. Like there was talk about the start of the year to uh, that Makar maybe could be the first rookie to win the the Norris since whoever else did it back in the day there. But yeah, I guess those are. Uh, mm-hmm. What else is there? Vesna. Vesna. I mean, a lot of guys are having great years. Like Jacob Markstrom was having a great year for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuka Rask leading goals against average. Not a big deal. Shouts out Boston, best yeah. team in the league. Yeah, and with the tandem they had too, like that helped Rask, I'm sure, a lot to not have to play his like his best every single night because he knew that Halak would play every other game too, right? So mm-hmm. he was well-rested and could be his best um, self basically every game he played. Yeah, like I think for the both of us, it's a little hard to judge uh, for the Vezina Trophy. We're not the biggest uh, goalie guys. But commenting on what you just said, I think something that more NHL teams or contending teams are going to try to start doing is do what Boston has done in the last two years is that have a backup goalie who's still good enough to be a starter on on a weaker team, have him have your top goalie rest more and they just perform so much better it's working so well in boston obviously you can't just say all right it's working over there might as well it's going to work everywhere that's not the case but now you look at what vegas just did getting leonard if uh flurry and leonard keep or if uh, leonard can do what he's done in the past in this recent years with uh, the islanders and then some good games with the chicago too if teams are more willing to have um, two better goalies and share the load more it could be more successful for the team down the road mm-hmm. and i'm looking at goalie stats right now that we we're talking about rookies earlier a bunch of rookie goalies coming out of nowhere this year elvis merzlikens with a um, where was he his save percentage isn't that high but <laughs> but i mean for what he did was completely amazing getting all those shutouts in a row putting columbus back into the playoff hunt with his amazing play on a team where they were crushed after losing their top goalie so he was actually ninth i just missed him but yeah he had a nine nine two three save percentage um how many shutouts we got here five shutouts for the boy absolutely insane and like you said columbus was a team that was counted out from the start of the year right losing everybody and um he was able to kind of keep them above water during the, um, those times that they're struggling with injuries too. Like Atkinson was injured a lot too. So but rookie goalies, like even New York now with this guy, Igor Shesterkin coming out of nowhere, 12 games, won 10 of them. Yeah, I think he, he's only lost a handful of games at the pro level in every league he's played in like AHL, KHL, and now NHL. He hasn't lost that many games in his the respective leagues that he's played in. So he looks like the heir to the King who seems to have fallen now um, out of favor in New York with uh, Georgiev and Shesterkin coming up. And there's also Samsonov now in um, Washington looking to overtake the net from Holtby. So I feel like it was kind of a weird year too in that a lot of starting goalies lost their gigs to backups coming out of nowhere, like in um, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Tristan Jari, Colorado, Pavel Francouz, Drieger in Florida. So, yeah, no, those are some goalies that have really uh, emerged out of nowhere, I think. And even Hudobin took 
a lot of Bishop's game. He, not that he's an unknown goalie there, but just backups taken over for established number one starting goalies. So no, it's been a crazy year through and through. So I guess that really wraps it up for awards there, league um, end of year awards. There's nothing really more for us to cover. Um, we can talk about like what some of our favorite moments from this season were, because there were a lot of them there, like the back-to-back hat tricks for Pasternak was um, classic. Me, obviously, as, sen- as a Senators fan, the Bobby Ryan hat trick and his return from uh, taking a leave of absence in November and coming back in his first game at home to get a hat trick. That's pretty unbelievable. There is celebrating like a hundred days of sobriety as well. And it just seeing his emotions on the bench, like that clip, just it, you're heartless. If that doesn't get to you, you know, you just can't help but be happy for the guy. And especially for Bobby being like a lightning rod for hate in Ottawa, especially because of his contract there and people just love to rag on him. So that was just awesome to see everyone celebrating Bobby instead of tearing him down. And especially given what, what he's been going through there, I don't think many people will be hating on him anymore because of that. It's just the human side of it was awesome to see. Yeah, especially in an Ottawa Senators season where there's not much to be cheering about. That was really a nice bright spot in a pretty ugly season. So yeah, I can see how a lot of people would uh, relate to that being a really nice moment for the team and for... Bobby and his family and there's also like another light-hearted aspect to it too where um during when Bobby had the chance to get the empty net goal to seal the hat trick Josh Norris is also calling for the pass to get his first goal and Bobby was razzing him after the game like yeah, I couldn't believe that that he was calling for the puck <laughs> on that play so um some humor in there as well yeah I know that was uh, that's pretty funny he's just trying to get the Get that first one, but I think he realized that's probably not the right thing to do in that moment. No. Um, yeah, no, that was an unbelievable moment. But uh, me, yeah, there's a couple of other ones there. The back-to-back past the hat-tricks, uh, I was obviously a huge fan of that. Um, Ovi's uh, milestone goal was uh, something that I think uh, a lot of fans were happy to see. It uh, he hit that uh, he had one goal to go for a couple of games now, and uh, we were wondering when he was going to be able to clinch it. And he got it. It was a great celebration between him and his teammates. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite moments, though, was the uh, Mika Zibanejad five goal performance capped off with the OT winner. Just an unbelievable performance. It was uh, truly amazing. Just a bunch of different types of goals. Just goes to show how much skill that uh, player has, and it was. Uh, just as a fan of the game, it was really fun to, to see happen. Happy for him. Yeah, and that too, it was against Washington. And he, Zibanejad and Ovechkin were just going back and forth. They scored the only goals from the third period on into OT. Um, I'm trying to find the, the box score for that game there, but it's just crazy. I think Ovechkin had two, or did he have a hat trick of his own? Uh, I know he had multiple goals. I couldn't tell you. got it here, so... Um, Zabanajad, Zabanajad, D'Angelo, Zabanajad, 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 and Ov got two. Yeah, so, yeah, no, all in the third. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's uh, that was pretty pretty cool to see. And that's someone else now. Just bringing it back to we talked about earlier surprise uh, performances and like breakout campaigns. Again, the Rangers had D'Angelo, who really stepped up into his um, like top four elite puck moving defenseman and putting up production 
for the Rangers for the yeah. first time in his career. He really, um, since he got to the Rangers, I think his game elevated, but this year he took it to another level with 14 goals and I want to say yeah, 38 assists, so 53 points in 68 games. Um, nice surprise for him. Someone who's kind of been counted out being a first-round pick with attitude issues in the past caused him to get traded quite a few times there from Tampa to Arizona to finally selling down in New York, and he's going to be due for a big raise after when after the season there mm-hmm. yeah it was nice to see some uh good consistent scoring from his play you know we've seen in the past that he's had a couple of great games but then he would be quiet for a numerous amount of games and then nothing really would happen so for him to be consistent throughout the year was uh, good to see for him and uh in new york a couple of bright stars so we'll see if they can uh, get a couple more pieces in the off season and try to be uh, more of a team to be not only pushing to make the playoffs but uh, more of a contender at least in the east yeah and trying to think of other moments like there's the obviously the this has been talked about quite a bit there the david aries situation and that was pretty <laughs> crazy course. and um we know uh Friend of the program, Justin Mocktinger, wasn't too crazy about that being at that game. I'm pretty sure he was there. So that must have been uh, something. Hey, you can say he experienced that firsthand, that he witnessed that greatness unfold. That's a crazy moment that happened this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all we yeah. got off the top there. Can um, go into if the playoffs started today, basically what a playoff bracket would look like. I just wrote down what the matchups would be. We can start in the East and maybe give our like what our overview of what that series could look like and predictions of who could win. That's cool. Yeah, I, I like that idea. So in the East, we'd have the East leading Boston Bruins versus the Columbus Blue Jackets with the second wildcard spot. So, um, I mean, I feel like there's a bit of bias here and uh, <laughs> who you'd be taking, but I think you can't really go against Boston in this situation. It wouldn't be the same Columbus team that would upset the favorite, well, like they did last year, right? Yeah. I think Boston's a, just a, a playoff team. Yeah, they have uh, way too much experience. And uh, Columbus, you know, what they did last year against Tampa was truly remarkable, but they lost some key players that we, as we've talked about before. And uh, for that to happen two years in a row to be the eighth seed to knock out the what would be the president winning team and mm-hmm. uh, I, I just wouldn't be able to see that happening especially against my boston bruins yeah exactly and the guys that they had going to like even last year notwithstanding the top guys that they lost like josh anderson was a key player for columbus and I, he's been injured most of the year mm-hmm. and just hasn't found any consistency in his game so he would have to really elevate his game to be a factor in that series for Columbus to have a chance. So I think it's unanimous Boston possibly sweeping Columbus in the first round there. And then in the Metro division, we'd have Washington rematching with Carolina, which I think that'd be an interesting series again. It's tough to bet against Washington. They're built for the playoffs as well and um, are a more physical team. I could see Wilson elevating his game coming off. I think this has been his best season statistically Mm -hmm. anyways. Hasn't really faced any suspensions. And um, there hasn't been any um, controversy around him this year, which is nice to see because I'm a big fan of Wilson's game. And it's nice to see him finally just settle into the power forward without getting into the stupidity that marked his career his first five years in the league. Yeah, no, I think it'd be a really fun playoff series to watch. You know, Carolina has a lot of young guys coming up that have been playing great. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys that uh, would be able to showcase their skill in a 
on a higher higher level just because they don't get as much publicity playing out of Carolina. So for them to be playing Washington, a series that, if I'm not mistaken, has happened they recently. They played each other last year. Yeah, they, exactly. Didn't Washington sweep them? Yeah. Or no. No, no, no. no, no, no. So no. Washington was up and then Carolina yeah. came back. There you go. Yeah. So exactly. I think it would be a great series to see, especially thank you because of uh, what happened in the years past. And mm-hmm. uh no, I think I think Washington would would edge them out just because, like you said, they they have more playoff experience. They have um, guys that have uh, been through, won the cup, so you know that goes such a long way. But uh, it'd be it'd be really exciting, you know. Maybe a couple of goalies would go down. Aries would get his uh, first yeah. play <laughs> first playoff start, and then uh, who knows what would happen then? Ovechkin puts up six on. Him. <laughs> but that brings me back to another moment of this year, which was Sveshnikov pulling off the Michigan move to the lacrosse goal yeah. not once but twice to be the first player ever in NHL history to pull that off. Yeah. Kind of set a trend of now every skilled player trying that out mid-game. And um, and again, getting a Sveshnikov-Ovechkin rematch um, right after Ovechkin knocked them out last year, maybe yeah. ignited Carolina to come back and beat them. So that'd be a good series. I'd still favor Washington there, but my guy Aho and Sveshnikov too, a, a lot of skill would be fun to watch. So then in the 2-3 matchups, we'll go in the Atlantic, Tampa Bay versus Toronto. Oh, baby. That's, that'd, be, that'd be fun. That'd be a great series. That'd be a lot of scoring going on in those games. Yeah. Uh, both teams have uh, really high-octane offense. You know, uh, Tampa definitely has a better uh, better defense decor. But still, I think those games would be like four to six goals. Each team's going back and forth. I'd like to say Tampa would take the series, especially after getting embarrassed last season. But you know you can't eh, you can't really count out Toronto Maple Leafs. They can surprise you. Sure, they've had some slumps throughout the year, but they've shown games that they can just dominate even the best teams. So it'd be super fun to watch. Man, all these series would have been so yeah, so I great know, so I far. God, I miss hockey. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think I'd give the edge to Tampa. Just because, you know, I, I still don't see Toronto having the, the all-around team strength to get around and beating a, a high team like Tampa Bay. So I think uh, they'd be my favorites, but that'd be a still really close series. Yeah, and I think Tampa was heating up at the right time too when the, before the season ended. They're, they're just steamrolling over everyone at like in the second half of the season where you want to be picking up momentum like St. Louis did last year. So I, I agree it'd be a high-octane scoring se- series. I think the determining factor would be the goaltending, like which Anderson is Toronto getting and which Vasilevsky would Tampa Bay be getting because he was by no means a great goaltender in the playoffs against Columbus last year. Obviously, Columbus just brought it physically and wore down Tampa and they dominate every game, but Vasilevsky also wasn't being the difference maker to give Tampa that second chance to, okay, I'm bailing you guys out of here. Where's this high octane that we've seen all season long? So it'd be an interesting series. I don't know. I also like to think that Tampa would win, but I think Toronto won the series, the regular season series against them. So I don't know. You can't really count those high, those elite offensive players out. So it'd be a, that would have been like the best series, I think, out of the East. But then again, that brings us to the next series, which would have been amazing to see again. We've seen this a bunch of times over the years. Philly against Pittsburgh, with Philly getting a home ice advantage, which could prove to be the difference in that series. Because I think this would this series would go to seven. 
the way Philly's played this year. Whereas this hasn't really been the same Pittsburgh team we've seen in years past. Like they're starting to hit the decline a little bit now. Um, but you can't, you just can't count Crosby and Malkin out. So um, I think this would be a great series. I like to think that Philly could finally overtake them in a playoff series. Yeah, no, uh, the Battle of Pennsylvania, you can never go wrong. I think personally this would be the most fun series to watch, especially to be live at because these two teams hate each other arguably more than any other of the matchups we've see or we would be seeing in these playoffs in the East. Uh not only would there be great skill, but the physicality in these in this series would be amazing and so fun to watch. Uh, I, I like your point. You know, it's not the same Pittsburgh team that we've seen. We've seen them go through a lot of slumps throughout the years. I think they went on, what, a uh, six or seven game losing streak. Mm-hmm. Not not that far ago. So that's right in the back of their mind with Crosby not producing at all. He was uh, minus, if I'm pretty sure, throughout those games, maybe one or two goals. So you never know what happens during the playoffs. It's a completely different uh, season once that starts. Uh Giroux would get his team fired up from the first game just like Crosby would. I'd like I'd like to see Philly move on and be able to beat Pittsburgh just because we've seen Pittsburgh move on and go deep in the playoffs so many times. I don't necessarily think that it'd be an easy task. I think you're right. I think we'd see this go to six. Hope Maybe it would be nice to see a game seven go back to Philly. And uh, I'd like to see Philly uh, take that series for sure. They've been a fun team to watch through high scoring games and there's good energy. Like you said, like they're not as physical as they used to be back in the day. Like they're not really the broad street bullies anymore, but what they have assembled in the Konechny Lofton Hayes line is really just a line of three pests that'll get under your skin and can physically hurt you and put up points on you as well. Like Konechny had a breakout year now in his fourth year in the league really showing that he may be the next star out of that team. It's what it looks like anyways. And that Lofton can just be like that defensively reliable winger and or centerman, I guess. And Hayes has been a, just a good two-way. Uh, yeah, he's been a good addition, addition to the team. Yeah. He seems to uh, jump and uh, mesh well with the teams instantly. Uh, him too. He had a couple of slumps throughout the year. Maybe not as much production as he would like to see. But, uh, you know, it's not only about putting up points. If uh, you do all the little things right too. It goes a long way for a team, especially in the playoffs. And I feel like Hazy also just lightens the mood in that dressing room. Like from what you hear on Spin Chicklets, he's just a goofball and like like brings some good energy to the room and is a, a pretty liked teammate across the league with everyone he's played with. So I think that'd be huge for the playoffs too, to just keep everyone calm, keep, still be ripping jokes around the locker room there especially going against Pittsburgh, who's been there before, like you said there. So I think we've covered this series a fair bit. So yeah, I'm liking Philly this year. Now we can go over to the West. So we'd have the Western leading, conference leading St. Louis Blues, Stanley Cup champions, reigning champs, facing off against Nashville, who would have actually greased into the playoffs, No, thanks to Yossi himself. So the 1-8 spot, I mean, I'm liking St. Louis here. That's an easy pick, but... I think it's an easy pick also just because of the terrible season that Nashville has. I'm actually surprised that they were in a playoff spot when the season ended. I can't say I've watched them all that often, but the few games that I have seen them play was either against Boston or Ottawa. And I remember some games against Ottawa, they looked just as bad as Ottawa did. So for them to be able to take on the reigning Stanley Cup champs, St. Louis, 
Yeah, I honestly think that St. Louis would just sweep them. Yeah. I, I wouldn't see much of a fight in that team. Their their offense hasn't done much. Yossi's been fantastic, but other than that, and it's not like Rene's the same player, the same goalie he used to be. I think it'd be Sorrow starting yeah. the f- game one. Because he's one of the reasons that I'm pretty sure they did go on a semi-run in the last six, seven games. There, and he put he got a few shutouts in a row to help Nashville win games and move on to the, the playoffs. So, yeah, I think we don't need to spend much more time on this series than we'd have in the other division. The Vegas Golden Knights facing off against Winnipeg oh, baby. as the, the first wild card spot. So, um, Damn, that, that would be a great series to watch. Uh, like once again, you know, Winnipeg, especially in years past, you've seen them be a physically dominant team. They've got some big guys. Well, losing a couple of big defensemen obviously hurts them now in that regards, but, uh, they would put up a fight Vegas. I still think they would take it though. I, I would, I would lean on them to be the winners in that series just because that, uh, the guys that they had up, up front have been having great seasons. You know, you look at Mark Stone, what he's done there, and he was able to bring Max Pacioretty into, th- I think, his best season. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's pretty pretty impressive considering how, how, how long he's been in the league for him to be able to come back and produce at the way he did. Uh, they still got such a solid decor. You know, it's not filled with any superstars, but I think just collectively as a group, they're really strong. And Fleury, he can he can steal games. He's super athletic and a fantastic goalie. And then if he does end up in a slump, they still have Leonard being able to steal some games himself. So I think when you look at the overall team, Vegas is a little stronger, but would still be a longer series and very exciting to watch. Yeah, I think this game, this series would go to seven games. Winnipeg kind of had an off year, still found themselves in a playoff spot in being in a weaker division as well. Helped or just the West was really weird this year, but I could see them flipping the switch and being excellent in the postseason because they are kind of built to play in the playoffs. Like you said, they lost a couple big defensemen, but the f- skill they have up front um, in Kyle Connor, Shifley, Wheeler, Line could emerge as a playoff. Um, a key com- contributor and Ehlers kind of an, a down year for him but he could be an x-factor as well and Hellebuck had a great year mm-hmm. one of the best um, goalies statistically I think he'd be in Vesna conversation just to loop that uh, conversation up yeah I think this goes seven so are you saying that Winnipeg takes it? yeah I would say the oh. Winnipeg upset over Vegas all right all right well it's too bad we won't be able to tell well maybe well, hopefully know. fingers crossed so, our first disagreement. So, I guess the next one would be Colorado versus Dallas, which would be an excellent series as well. I like Colorado, personally. Dallas, um, Bishop hasn't had the strongest year this year. They've actually really, it's been split between Hudobin and uh, Bishop for the net this year. And um, I think Hudobin ended up with better stats than Bishop. So, I would have to go with Colorado, just because Nathan McKinnon at this point is top three in the league undisputed one mm-hmm. of the best players in the world everyone would elevate their play to play like him and like we've already talked about the emergence of Makar as an instant um, contributor for that team they also have Girard on the in the back end there as a sleeper second um, offensive D Ranton and Landeskog if, if, they, if they can get Kadri back for the postseason too I think that'd be huge because he would bring some physicality in a, a tougher western conference to play against so, um, 
and if Grubauer can come back too, but Flancouz proved that he can be the guy in net. So they have a good tandem as well. I would go for a Colorado in this series. Yeah, I think I think technically when you look at everything like statistically and just the way the season went on, you'd think like Colorado should win the series. But I don't know why. I just have a gut feeling that I think Dallas would take it. Because, you know, every like every year there's always one th- one series. You're just like, how the hell did these guys beat this team? And I think that would be that series. Dallas would just find a way to overcome the, the Colorado superstars. Because really, yeah, of course, that one line is unbelievable. You know, they got so much star power going there. But if they would find a way to shut down that line and let their team get maybe one or two goals, like just really focus in on the defense structural game and just keep it to a low scoring. And they still have some high, uh, high skilled forwards of themselves, even a couple of D that can help out offensively. So there's not that much logic to my decision. <laughs> I just have this strange gut feeling that if this would were to happen, that Colorado still still doesn't have enough experience to go not deep enough. Just they, they would break down somewhere and Dallas would take over and just win the series. When you got a veteranship like uh, Jamie Benn, guy who's won uh, at the Olympic level, he would just be able to be a big key there and help his team uh, take over Colorado. Yeah, so I think for Dallas to win, it would have to have all their star players who really did struggle this year to put up numbers. I think Jamie Benn ended up in the 40-point range in Sagan. Might have had 60, but an overall disappointing year for their offensive stars. And I thought after the offseason, them adding Joe Pavelski and even Corey Perry as a veteran to be on the fourth line, bring that leadership and that experience of having won, that they could be a contender to win the Cup that year with Heiskanen taking another step forward, which he did have a great second year and definitely could be a contributor in the playoffs. But it would have to be everyone else really pulling off a 180 and being incredible in the playoffs to win. Like Klingberg also had a down year, so I don't know. I I respect the gut call, but I'm going to have to go with Colorado on this one too. But All right, so now this brings us to our last series, which I think would undoubtedly be the best series out of the four out of the eight to be honest in the playoffs which would have the battle of alberta facing off man starting off in edmonton for the first game versus the calgary flames so what can you tell us about what this series could potentially look like based on what happened this year between these two teams and this would be an all-out war everyone would love to watch this series out land it'd be unbelievable so much fun it'd be similar to the pennsylvania um, battle a lot of physicality more so more physicality oh, uh, uh, for sure more physicality and then you got some superstars too you got obviously what Edmonton has in McDavid Dreisaitl and a couple of other guys would help in there with the uh, skill factor but then Calgary's got a lot of skill too and they got some pests when you look at Matt Kachuk just going in there putting up points but also obviously getting under people's skin so uh I think I'd like to see Edmonton win out this series. I'm more of an Edmonton fan myself. So it'd be fun to see them get finally some uh, some wins in the playoffs and uh, move forward. But it'd be an extremely fun series to watch. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll, we'll get to see it happen. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, they, it really looked like this was what the, um, the end game was going to be at the end of the se- season anyways, that these two teams would face off in the playoffs whether that be in the first or second round, but 
looks like right now it's perfect that they would face off against each other if we picked up today where the standings are. So I'd also like to see Edmonton win. I think they would too based on Calgary's stars like Goodrow and Monaghan kind of had down years. Kachuk, like you said, kept just excelling and rounding out his game and pulling off skilled plays, skilled goals all year long. And just to see him and Cassian face off for a minimum of four games again, we'd be bound to get at least one fight between the two again, you'd think. And there'd be some some crazy physicality. Like a line brawl would not be out of the question in this no, series. No, absolutely like at not. At least one is what you got to expect. And I think Giordano would be getting dirty in there too. He's been questionably hitting McDavid throughout the years now. People are blaming him for McDavid's season um, his injury at the end of the last season so um there'd be a lot of animosity and i think even like mcdavid would be getting in there mixing it up too it that'd just be unbelievable to see yeah I, i'd like to see that one go seven if possible but like who doesn't want to see mcdavid win at this point to go through his most hated team basically first would just be the start of something beautiful yeah it'd be uh, it'd be a lot of good hockey to watch all right, so I was uh, thinking now we could probably just jump past the semifinals and go straight to what you would think would be both conference okay, finals. Okay. So who would be your two teams to uh, match up in the Eastern Conference Final? Okay, so in the Eastern Conference Final? Well, that by skipping the semis, you kind of have to talk about what would happen in the semis because that would mean that Tampa, in my opinion, would be facing off against Boston in the Atlantic and then Washington-Philly. So I think like Tampa-Boston would be the equivalent of your finals, but one of them would have to lose. I think I said this year that it was after what happened last year, it was Tampa's year, even though last year people were, everyone, everyone was saying it was Tampa's year. But to go through what they did last year, to put like tie a league record and to only get swept in the first round was just humiliating. And I felt bad for the guys. So I, I'd want to see Stamkos win the cup. So I'm saying that Tampa is in the Eastern Conference Finals having battled it out with Boston. And then on the other side, you'd see probably Washington. Tampa-Washington. And that would not be a gimme by any means, but I would still see Tampa beating Washington. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, that's a, that'd be a great series to watch. But I'm going to com- switch it off completely. I'm going to go with the two other teams. Obviously, some bi- a little bit biased here, but I still think that... Uh, Boston is still uh, the top team in the East, not only because of what they've done in the in the regular season, but also just because of what they've shown to be in the playoffs, almost untouchable after what they did last year in the playoffs and just coming so short in the Stanley Cup Finals. I think they would pull through and beat Tampa in the semis. And in the other one would be more, maybe more, con- well, I don't know about more controversial, but I think Philly, if they were able to beat Pittsburgh, have way too much momentum and so fired up to beat their rivals that they would be able to find a way and take over Washington and then they would meet the big bad Bruins in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'd love to see that for sure. I'd like to see Philly make it to the Stanley Cup Finals and win even. But I don't know. I know it's a good good take for sure. I think so too. Like If they had that much momentum be fired up, Washington... They've just won a few years ago, so maybe aren't as hungry mm-hmm. than a, a starving Philadelphia Flyers. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, to carry that over. And who would win between Boston and Philly, you think? I think you know my answer. I yeah. think Bruins are going back to the finals, baby. Okay. That'd be impressive for sure. 
Uh, after having a short summer. Yeah, okay. So now in the West, if St. Louis would beat Nashville, they'd face off for me against Colorado. I'd like to see Colorado beat St. Louis because I don't, I don't really want to see St. Louis win again back-to-back. I, I mean, good for them that they won, but can't say I really care for them more than that. Um, I'd like to see McKinnon win, so I'd put in Colorado in the finals against it would uh, Edmonton. So to see McKinnon and McDavid face off would be unbelievable. And I do think that if McDavid were to Edmonton were to beat Calgary, they'd beat whoever they play in the next round, whether that be Vegas or Winnipeg. He would do like he did in the OHL playoffs and just put his the team on his back and put up an insane amount of points. And that'd be some electric hockey to see two of the best go head to head in McKinnon and McDavid. Mm-hmm. Okay, Colorado Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. Uh... That'd be great. I think. Uh, I think. I think. I agree with that too. I would go with uh, St. Louis and Edmonton uh, meeting in the uh, Colorado or in Edmonton or St. Louis and Edmonton. St. Louis and Edmonton. Sorry, did I say Colorado? No, you said St. Louis. Yeah, but I said Colorado Edmonton. Oh right. Okay. Sorry. I think St. Louis. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, St. Louis and Edmonton. I think uh, St. Louis is just uh, too much to handle right now. They would. Uh, they they just have such a complete team. That uh, it it just seems like every every position is filled perfectly. Their decor is arguably the best decor in the National Hockey League, and they still have a great great crop of forwards. Bennington, when he's on, we've seen what he's been able to do in the playoffs, and uh, I think he'd be able to carry his team back to the Western Conference Finals. And and I'll agree with you in the same thing for Edmonton. I think uh, they'd have so much momentum. McDavid would be would become an even better player that we've seen of him in the regular season play and regular season become just out of this world more so than he already is. Take it to a whole new level. Drysaitel will be right there with him, just continuing off that tremendous season he had. And uh, I think Vegas would put up a good fight, but still uh, Edmonton would be able to beat their way and just. Uh, find each other in the Western Conference Finals. So in this situation, are we seeing a St. Louis-Boston rematch in the finals or is Edmonton upsetting? It would be an upset to beat St. Louis. I, I honestly think that we could see a rematch. <laughs> That'd be crazy if that happens there. Yeah, It'd, it'd be insane and I like, really don't think it's it would it would happen. I think uh, either team... Could you, you, it, it could. Like I'm not saying that there's no chance. Obviously, it's next to... Like, there's slim chances just because, like, the fact that both teams would be able to find each other in the Stanley Cup Finals is extremely rare. But I still think that uh, that would be the outcome. Okay. And then Boston just um, Uh, reviewing history. I I mean, obviously that's what I would like to see, what it would happen. Who knows? You know, as soon as you get to the Stanley Cup Finals anything gonna happen yeah. you know i thought they were gonna take it last year especially game seven at home when they were able to bring it back i thought it was in the bag but yeah. and the way they started the game too binnington made it like two B- if not three game changing saves binnington won game seven a hundred percent if he didn't play the way he did in the first i think boston had like 20 shots in the first period yeah, it was insane like so he was able to win that game and win the series and uh, i I just I just can't see any team being able to overcome those two teams. Yeah. And that's what you got to love about the playoffs too is that that's where you see legends be made, right? And Bennington will always be remembered for that. He he could not win another game for the rest of his life and people will still remember him as the guy who 
saved St. Louis's season. A hundred percent. Like the same thing goes for Ma- what Matt Murray did yep. for Pittsburgh. Yep. Guy was a rookie who won two Stanley Cups. It doesn't even <laughs> matter that this Tristan Jari's taking over his starting like, role. That's nah, almost impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but like what he did was out of this world. Like yeah. he was a rookie with two Stanley Cups as a goalie. And uh, and he did it to like not knock off, but like th- their starting goalie was still Marc Andre Fleury, who could be a Hall of Fame goalie himself. Yeah, I think he should be. Yeah, I think so too. But you know, time will tell. But uh, no, it's just legends are born in the playoffs, and that's what's so fun to watch. Yeah. All right, so that's a solid uh, playoff picture recap or preview of what could be. Let's just hope that we do get some playoff hockey this year. Now I know it's kind of tough to jump forward to what what it could look like next season because there's obviously the draft and like free agent signing that are, that are gonna happen this summer so if we were to just look at knowing other teams farm system and stuff and how players will take another step forward next year who would you say you're liking a lot for next year to um, in contention to maybe win or just improve dramatically. Okay. Well, I think uh, Carolina's definitely doing the right steps. You know, they got a lot of key young guys that are crafting this new generation of their hockey over there. I think they would just they're they're not getting any worse right now. They're only getting better. So I like I think they could be one of the top teams in the East. Other than that, I can't see that much change in the conference just because the top teams aren't losing many players. Guys don't seem to be on a decline so I think it'd be pretty similar uh, and same for the west I mean it's kind of hard to tell just because you never know what's going to happen if the offseason if there's a lot of big moves or not mm. but uh, that Carolina I think would be the team that would be able to make a big jump as in going from a playoff push contention teams to a dominant team if not next year the year after yeah no that's a great pick for sure Especially in the steps for that their young stars will continue to take. Like, Aho is now established as a number one center. Sveshnikov took leaps forward like crazy in his second year and almost doubling his point total from his rookie season. I think he would have if we would have had a full season. And just from what you hear about his work ethic and everything there, like he's the real deal. So I do agree with that pick for sure. It's tough... Um, I think Ottawa, especially depending on how the lottery falls for us, we could take a, a big step forward next year. We won't be a playoff team there, but we'll, we're on the rise with all our prospects there like we've covered earlier. I'm Someone I'm looking forward to see coming to the NHL, which will help this team, will be um, Kirill Kaprizov in Minnesota, who's been one of their top prospects for years now playing in the KHL, and he's been the top scorer in the KHL for the last two years goal scorer and um, his contract restrictions were what made it impossible for him to join the the wild now for the last few years but now his contract obligations have been fulfilled and he will be joining Minnesota next year and I don't think it's crazy to imagine that he'll have a Panarin like impact on Minnesota right out the gate he'll be 23 years old having played four years in the KHL against men I think he'll help Minnesota, who's been a team who've been just perpetually stuck in the making the first round of the playoffs and losing, not making any leeway towards actually going on a run with the emergence of Kevin Fiala too. 
in the not in the Nashville trade, and if all their other young guys like even um and their other young for, former first round pick in Luke Cunning, who oh, actually had go. a an undercover. 36-point year as a second-line center and being defensively responsible. I think he'll take another step forward next year. It'll just be about getting some other guys as well. Like, their older players now are really slowing down. They got a good haul for Zucker as well, a first-round pick, and Addison from Pittsburgh. And, yeah, so we'll see. I'm not saying that we're going to be as good as Carolina there, Mm -hmm. but... If Kaprizov can have the impact that people think he will have, I think that'll help them a lot in improving and going back to the postseason. Yeah, no, and and that's true. Like Minnesota, it's such a big hockey market, so uh, for them to have a more more uh, successful team would be huge, and it would be fun to watch. You know, that have great atmosphere and uh, just a change. I mean, when's the last time they were really competitive? I couldn't even <laughs> tell you. So it'd be it'd be it'd be great for them. I'd I'd be happy to see them take steps in the right direction, especially if this new player could help yeah and if they can jump up maybe a little bit not too much in the draft there and uh, not bump auto off too much and get a top player that'd be great for them because like you said that's a team i think the whole just the nhl market would love to do better and um, be good for the states in general so yeah i mean that's as much as we can look forward to next year i think really because there's going to be so much change as there always is every season Mm mm-hmm Every, every summer, I mean. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Thanks a lot, Zach, for uh, your insight. And it's just been fun doing something different in these uh, weird times there and getting <laughs> back on the pod grind. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot to Eric for uh, having me out here. You know, it was uh, a lot of fun and uh, happy to be back. Yeah, so thanks a lot to everyone for listening. Stay tuned. Two episodes dropping every other Monday. You know how it is. And I hope everyone's staying safe, stay inside. And, yeah, peace.